Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast, a curated series of interviews and discussions highlighting the three shields of orthopedic surgery at Mayo Clinic, clinical practice, research, and education. Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Ortho Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kalechia Corja, and we have the pleasure of having my esteemed colleague, Dr. Rafael Sierra, here with us today. Dr. Sierra obtained his medical degree at the Pontifical Xavier University and completed his residency training here at the Mayo Clinic. He then completed three separate fellowships through the Insaw Scott Kelly Institute, the Mueller Foundation, and the University of Miami. Dr. Sierra has an extensive research background and is well known for his work both here and internationally. He currently serves as the chair of our adult reconstruction department here at the Mayo Clinic. We are lucky to have Dr. Sierra with us here to speak today. Welcome, Rafa. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Great to be here with you today. Today, we're going to be talking about biologics for the treatment of hip AVN. So just to start, uh, Dr. Sierra, what is AVN of the hip and what are the common causes? So um, avascular necrosis or commonly known as osteonecrosis now is the death of the bone in the femoral head. Uh, but it can really occur in any, jo any joint. So it's actually some people may even present with multifocal osteonecrosis, which is involvement in, in the hip, knee, shoulder, et cetera. Um, it's a fairly rare condition to tell you the truth. I mean, I see a lot of it here, um, but you know, if you look at the numbers in the US, there are usually not more than 10 to maybe 20,000 new cases a year. Um, it occurs in fairly young people, and that's why the, it's so important, because the average age is 36, uh, has been published previously. In our series, it's been 41. So fairly young patients will develop osteonecrosis of the femoral head. And, you know, it's been in the past called one of the unsolved mysteries of orthopedics, uh, because it's, you know, the reason why it occurs, it's not completely understood. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, two thirds of the patients have an underlying risk factor that has led to the death of their bone. But another third of people, we have no idea why it has occurred. Uh, the, the most common uh, conditions or medications that lead to osteonecrosis are related to immune disorders, such as lupus um, or medications or, or, or different uh, conditions that require prednisone use. Um, so steroid use has been associated with a number of uh, patients with osteonecrosis of the femoral head, uh, but really only about 6% of all patients on steroids will develop osteonecrosis. So that's why we don't understand it. What happened with the other 94% of patients? Um, another common condition that I see that is associated with osteoporosis is excessive alcohol intake or alcohol abuse. Uh, that usually leads to osteoporosis, but again, in, in only a few individuals, it's not like everybody that drinks develop osteoporosis, which is actually pretty uh, rare. And it, can, and it can occur with, you know, just a few drinks a week and, or, or with patients that drink every day. So although most commonly it's with heavy uh, drinkers. 
um, other conditions and, and one and, and other conditions that are not related to um, what we call traumatic osteonecrosis would be patients with hypercholesterolemia. That means that they have high cholesterol um, radiation, for example, as well. Uh, organ transplantation that requires steroid use. Some HIV medications will uh, cause osteonecrosis as well. So those, those are kind of the most common ones that I see, but there are a number of, of other less common reasons as well. Um, and then you've got the traumatic osteonecrosis, and that's usually because the femoral head uh, gets fractured for, you know, usually a fall or, or a motor vehicle accident, and then and there's interruption of the blood supply, and that could lead to osteonecrosis of the femoral head as well. So that would be the traumatic one, and then the atraumatic osteonecrosis, which is all the other conditions that can lead to that. Great examples, Rafa. And so how are these patients with AVN presenting in the clinic? Yeah, so uh, the majority of them will present with hip pain and they will present mostly with groin pain. Um, so some patients that have advanced stages of osteoarthrosis will, will present on crutches and with complete inability to bear weight on the leg. Uh, so then you really have two big stages of this condition. The, the first stage is when is the femoral head is still round, there's the area of necrosis in the femoral head, but uh, the cartilage on top is still, you know, nicely, um, you know, preserved and the femoral head bone is still able to support that cartilage. Yeah, pre-collapse stage. That's a collapse, that's an area, that's a stage that we call pre-collapse. And then there's the second stage, which is a collapse stage, which starts initially with a collapse of the subchondral bone or the bone underneath the head. And then it progresses to flattening of the head. And so these two patients will present with two different symptoms. The patient with pre-collapse stage will usually present with an ache in their hip, you know, deep-seated groin pain uh, and, and pain, but that, you know, even some night pain. Uh, but they're not having much pain with like weight bearing. Uh, it's just deep seated pain that's there all the time. And the patient that presents with collapse, that patient will have weight bearing pain. They will not be able to put weight on that leg. They'll be on crutches and that pain uh, usually is present again at all times and may even present with some catching in the hip if they have an uneven surface of cartilage now. And so this is a biologic talk. So we're going to talk a little bit about biologics. What are the current biologic options for the treatment of AVN? Yeah, so it depends on the stage. Um, so if we go back to the staging, you know, the, we'll talk first about the pre-collapse. So this is a, when the femoral head is still round. The patient has radiographic and MRI evidence of osteoarthrosis of the femoral head. So these patients, you know, Theoretically, and, and this is purely theoretical, but theoretically it's believed that the pain that they're having is because they, they have a compartment syndrome of the femoral head. And a compartment syndrome, it means that the pressure has built up inside the femoral head and that's the cause of their pain. Essentially a balloon trying to expand within inside another balloon will only push pressure outside and that will cause pain in their hip. Um, so, the treatment of that for 
five decades has been a, a procedure that's called the decompression. We're essentially putting a needle into the femoral head to try to relieve that balloon inside from exploding. And so this decompression, which we do in a very uh, innovative way, has been used for about 30 years by, by a surgeon in France. His name is Philippe Hernigou. And it's the use of a six millimeter trocar that goes from the outside part of the hip into the femoral head, and that relieves the pressure. And then after we relieve the pressure, then we can um, inject bone marrow concentrate into the femoral head. Um, and uh, we have been mixing this bone marrow concentrate also with platelet-rich plasma, which is a product that is derived from the patient's own blood. And so this is all done under the same procedure in the operating room, takes about an hour. But the, you know, the prerequisite of this procedure is that the femoral head is still round. If there's any evidence of small collapse, subchondral collapse, then this procedure will not work. Uh, we've been doing this procedure for about 15 years now with pre-collapse osteonecrosis. We've got over 400 patients now that we've done uh, or 400 hips that we've done decompressions on. Uh, we've followed our patients uh, for many years and we're currently compiling all the data for all these patients. Uh, but we do have, we did uh, prospectively follow a group of patients from that were done between 2013 and 2014, or maybe 2012 and 2013. And we've now followed them prospectively for seven years. And um, the results have been 90% successful in patients that have small lesions when measured on the MRI scan. And, you know, there's a staging system called the, uh, it's a, it's a ver MRI version of the Kerbool system, but if they have smaller angles of measurements, less than 200 degrees on both the uh, axial as well as the, sa the sagittal coronal views, those patients did really well, 90% success rate. Well, those that had larger lesions, um, and these were all steroid-induced osteonecrosis, they had only 40% success rate. But even then, those patients that did well, um, you know, have done very well, even up to seven and eight years. Those patients that failed usually failed within the first 18 months. Um, so you could say that it's, it's all or nothing. These patients either do well and completely do continue to do well down the road, or it, they'll fail pretty quickly. And the problem was that we did, these were all steroid induced osteonecrosis. And the other risk factor was the continued steroid use. If somebody needs to continue to use steroids, um, they will obviously continue to cause an insult to the femoral head. And that's hard to really overcome with the procedure that we do. Uh, but even in those cases, half of them survived. So um, today, if I'm presented with a patient, no matter the size of a lesion, this procedure has a very low risk of complications. It's done, done as an outpatient. Patients are allowed to put full weight, bear, full weight on their leg right away. Um, we can do both hips at the same time. So we still go for it because the upside is so great compared to the downsides of this procedure 
that will still go for it, even if we think we know that they have a very large lesion that may not be amenable to treatment. Um, once, once the femoral head has collapsed, then the most reliable procedure is a hip replacement. Um, we have, I'd said, pushed the envelope in some patients, uh, especially very young patients, and we're talking about patients in their teenage years or, or early 20s, where we still feel that a hip replacement is, is a big deal for lifestyle changes, et cetera. Uh, and we have done, especially if they have small segmental areas of collapse. And what I mean segmental is that if the angle of necrosis is fairly small and measures less than 30 degrees, we might attempt a procedure that's called an um, osteochondral allograft. And that's a regenerative procedure as well. We usually combine it uh, with um, bathing that fresh allograft into the patient's own bone marrow prior to implanting it into the femoral head. And we've had some fascinating results with this. I don't recommend it on every patient uh, because we've had our failures as well, but I can remember two patients that have, I mean, with severe damage to the femoral head, both of them now playing um, college sports both baseball and football, D1 football, actually. A patient where he was told that the only procedure was a total hip replacement. So again, a biologic alternative to a very complicated problem. And so those are kind of the biologics that we're doing today for both pre-collapse and post-collapse osteonecrosis. So you talked a little bit about um, the pre-collapse stage with the decompression and the injection. Is there anything else that you're injecting or trying to inject in, in these... Uh patients? I have not. So I mainly inject bone marrow concentrate and um, uh, PRP. Um, there are, um, we did start a trial uh, comparing bone, uh, comparing adipose derived mesenchymal stem cells using a, a machine called the Cytori machine, which where we get the uh, fractionated uh, fat cells essentially. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we had to stop it because of COVID. Um, and so we were eight patients down out of the 25. So, um, and, so and also the company went through um, some overhaul. So we've had to stop through that, uh, that trial. So our plan is to restart with a separate machine. But yeah, there are some, um, in, in Europe, there are some surgeons that are injecting adipose-derived MSCs. And that make, make some sense, um, actually a lot of sense. Uh, we've, we've got a very interesting paper, Cody Wiles was the first author, where we took 15 patients that had osteonecrosis of the femoral head that were undergoing total hip replacement, and we took bone marrow from the femur and uh, some fat, and we, we cultured the cells and then tested the cells, both the fat and the bone marrow, and the um, osteogenic properties of both uh, mesenchymal stem cells um, were better for the adipose-derived MSCs. Uh, and this was not only for one patient, but it was for all 15 patients. So the osteogenic properties of the adipose MSCs was higher than the bone marrow-derived MSCs. 
In addition to that, the proliferation capacity was actually higher in the adipose MFCs and the bone marrow MFCs. These were patients with AVM. Uh, so um, obviously there's a reason why they've collapsed. And my thought process has been that, you know, the problem with bone marrow in these patients, and this has been published previously by Hernie Gu as well, may be both um, a reason why these patients develop AVN and, another, and then why they collapse. So my, my thinking is that there's a lot more people that develop AVN out there for steroids or for drinking or whatever reason, but many of them are able to heal their lesions well, those that have these abnormal bone marrow cells may be those that are unable to heal them. Because remember that all of these patients were undergoing total hip replacement. But we even looked at this in patients that were undergoing uh, decompression, and it was very similar. They had what we would call depleted bone marrow. Their cells were not normal. And in our study, uh, the first study, uh, the, the prospective study, patients that had progression in in their pain and the required hip replacement or a second decompression had also less cells in their bone marrow. Um, so I think it has, there, there's something to it. Makes sense to kind of use adipose stem cells in those kind of patients that might have Absolutely. depleted bone marrow. Mm -hmm. Sounds reasonable. So patients sometimes ask, um, if bio biologics fail, does that alter the success rate of a subsequent surgery if they needed one? Yeah, no, not at all. Not with the uh, not with the hip decompression the way that we do it. Um, I mean, the, the hip decompression has been done, like I said, since the 1960s, and surgeons have tried a number of things to put into the tract after the decompression. Um, I mean, some surgeons have even um, used vascularized bone graft procedures for that. The most commonly one used and the most studied. Uh, was actually uh, developed at Duke University. Uh, Dr. Urbaniak used to take the vascularized fibula, so they would harvest the ipsilateral fibula with this pedicle, you know, sew it to the deep medial femoral circumflex vessel, and then put it out into that. I mean, that's a procedure, and you know, I've done uh, several hip replacements after that procedure, and it's not an easy procedure. That to me makes that operation harder. Um, putting, you know, non-vascularized bone graft in there probably doesn't, um, doesn't alter the procedure. Some people were pay, putting tantalum rods in there. These were rods made out of metal to try to, you know, prevent that femoral head. That was making, that would make the operation harder as well. So, I mean, the way that we do it, which is a six millimeter trocar, injecting the bone marrow concentrate, does not, and I've done plenty of hip replacements after, after this procedure, and it does not make the operation any harder at all. And we're currently looking at that um, uh, to uh, follow up on that as well as the report. Great, great. So it sounds like it doesn't alter the surgery. So what about patients that have a pre-collapse lesion, you treat them with some decompression, bone marrow concentrate, PRP, and they don't get better? What's the next step? What, what is the next option after that? Yeah, so it depends if the femoral head is still round, um, and, but they still have pain. We have repeated decompression successfully in some patients. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's um, rare, really, uh, but we have. 
Uh, and actually in our study, we had two patients that we repeated the decompression, one that had complete pain relief after the second decompression and one that did not. Um, the most common scenario is actually just progression of the condition and collapse. And in those patients where collapse does occur, then a hip replacement is the best option after that. Um, the one thing that I would want to note is that we have been seeing an increasing number of patients that have combination of impingement in their hip and avascular necrosis. And, um, you know, there's some uh, data that has been published showing that uh, if you look at patient, if you look at CT scans of patients that have a osteonecrosis of the femoral head and compare it with an age match core of patients that don't have osteonecrosis, they have a higher incidence of proximal femoral abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that some of these patients may have continued pain because they have another condition in their hip that's causing the pain. So if the femoral head is still round and they still have pain, make sure it's not a result of some other pain generated, such as a labral tear or impingement, which again, I see quite a bit. Actually, today I saw three patients with avascular necrosis of the femoral head and all three of them had uh, an acetabular or femoral abnormality. All right. Well, that's a great summary, Rafa. I'm gonna to try to summarize everything you said here. Uh, so we first talked about what AVN is, and you talked about it being the death of the bone in the femoral head. You said the reasons are not fully understood, but the most common reasons are immune disorders, conditions that require steroids, excessive alcohol use, radiation, HIV medications, or even traumatic reasons. We talked about the presentation, mostly groin pain, but some patients will uh, present with crutches and ability to bear weight. Then we separate the categories of pre-collapse and collapse. You talked about the pre-collapse will present with that achiness, that night pain, while the collapse patient will present with inability to weight bear it and might need crutches. In terms of treatment for the pre-collapse, you talked about decompression. You often augment that with bone marrow concentrate and PRP, or for collapse patients, the most reliable surgery is probably a hip replacement. You talked about there being a low risk of complications and that biologics do not really alter the surgery if they need a subsequent surgery. And then finally, if biologics fail and the condition progresses, then hip replacement is the most common treatment. Anything else, Rafa? No, you've done a great job summarizing what we just talked about, so thank you. All right, well, thanks for coming to speak with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for the invitation.